0: Amen. Good morning, guys. It is good to see you. I'm excited for special Sundays like this where we kind of get to strip away all of the the bells and whistles and just have a kind of humble time of hymn worship, those old hymns that we grew up in. I'm always impressed by Nick and Lindsay. I mean, the two of them... You couldn't let me finish what I was going to say. The two of them, I just envision that they sit around in their home all weekend. This is all they do. Nick just plays instruments, and Lindsay just plays the cello, and Anna, their daughter, just sits in the corner and ooze and alls at their parents. I don't know if that's their reality. You can ask them after service. But I am so thankful for the way they can choose to lead us in worship weekend. In week out. If you would, go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn with me to Judges chapter 13. If you're joining us for the first time or the first time in a while, we are in a study through, actually, we're at the very end of a study through the Old Testament book of Judges. So it's near the beginning of the Bible, uh, looking at the life and leadership of these judges. That God gave to his people to lead his people. And we spent a pretty significant amount of time studying their stories and seeing them unfold for one reason. We want to be, as a people, well equipped and confident to step into the calling that God has set before each and every one of us to lead others to experience immeasurably more, more of God's power and more of God's presence. If you are here as a follower of Jesus, whether you realize it or not, you are a leader of people. The question is, are you leading people to follow God or are you leading people away from him? Now we are uh, looking at in Judges chapter 13, the final judge recorded for us in the book of Judges. And he's probably the most well-known judge of all the judges, a judge named Samson. Now, when I say Samson or when you think about the old Bible story of Samson, like what is the first thing that comes to mind? Strength for me too. I mean, that's what I read. When I think the story of Samson, I think about his, his strength. And I think if God could just give me strength, like he gave Samson, think of all the hours it would save in the gym, right? Like, wouldn't it be nice if God just bestowed upon you this supernatural strength, like he bestowed upon Samson? The problem is the Bible doesn't ever say that Samson looks strong. And let's be honest, what's more important being strong or looking strong? I'll leave that up to you. There's so many things that come to mind with Samson. We think about Samson and Delilah. We think about Samson and the Nazarite. Samson's story is a fascinating story. And when, what comes, whether, um, sorry, whatever comes to mind, we're going to see that if we're not careful, we can have a lot in common with Samson. And we certainly have a lot to learn from his story. Now Samson's story, the story that we might have grown up with if you grew up in church or Sunday school or vacation Bible school, this famous story where we've kind of heard snippets along the way is recorded for us in the book of Judges chapter 13, chapter 14, chapter 15, and chapter 16. So if you're keeping track, that's four chapters and we've got just a little under three hours to make our way through the story. So turn with me, Judges chapter, not even nervous laughter. All right, wake up guys. Judges chapter 13, verse 1. It says this. It says, in the people of Israel, so God's people in the Old Testament, they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Now, if you've been with us for some time, you've seen this same cycle repeated over and over and over, chapter after chapter, week by week in the story of Judges. So the people of Israel, which were God's chosen people in the Old Testament, they would do evil in the eyes of the Lord. They would follow after other gods. They would go the way of the world in which they lived. And then God would just give them into the hands of whoever's culture they cozied up with. Here it's the Philistines. And we've seen this cycle kind of spiral out of control. The first couple times they drifted away from God and they started following the the people in whose land they lived. God would give them into the hands of their enemies for a few years. But here he's given them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. This is the longest enslavement of God's people in the entire book of Judges. And they were probably, the Philistines were probably the most wicked people of all the peoples we read about in the book of Judges. They were advanced militarily far beyond their years. In the Iron Age, they were the first to have tools of iron. They could wield them against all of their enemies. They were just dominant in their region. They were nearly unstoppable. And they used that to their advantage. They would travel around. They kind of made a name for themselves uh, in piracy and raiding other nations. So they would approach these neighboring nations with these tools of iron, and they would just decimate uh, peoples and populations. They were wicked, wicked people. And uh, when they would get home from these celebrations, they invented what they call uh, the Mista, which was a week-long drinking feast. This is where colleges and universities get it from, all the way from the Philistines, week-long just being drunk out of their mind. And they were so cruel that when they would conquer a nation, they wouldn't just put the people to death, but they would cut the people apart limb by limb and impale them and just let them die a slow, painful death. Now, I know that sounds gruesome, but that is the reality of the enemies of God. And when we read these stories in the Old Testament, we think, why would God use his people to wipe out these nations? Because these people had gone so far from God that they were just truly wicked in all of their ways. And so what does God do? God sends a leader. And all throughout the story of Judges and all throughout scripture and all throughout human history, when the people of God drift from God, God sends a leader to invite them to walk with God. Because the natural direction of our drift we've seen is always away from God. We don't just drift towards God. And so as we drift away from God, God sends a leader. And if you think about it for just a second, like, isn't that true of your story? Like, why are you here today? You're here today because somewhere along the way, someone invited you to know God. Maybe it was years ago, your family member, a mom or a dad or a grandparent, an aunt and uncle, someone that loved God so much that God used them to invite you to walk with him. Maybe it's been more recently, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, someone said, hey, I go to this church and we're learning about who God is and how he leads us to walk with him. Would you come with me? No matter who we are, somewhere, someone it stood in the gap and invite us to walk with God. And if that's true for you, it's also true of you. If God has used someone to invite you to walk closely with him, He's also using you to invite others to follow him closely. And because the natural direction like the natural direction of the drift of our world is away from God. and the natural direction of the drift of our friends and our neighbors and our co-workers and our family members is away from God, God puts us in place on purpose. ...to invite people to walk closely with him. Today we're going to see that's exactly what happened with the man named Samson. Judges chapter 13, verse 1 says, "...the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines for forty years." Then, verse 2, it says, there was a certain man of Zora, of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And I love how, like, the story starts with the big people of God, all of the people of God, the nation of Israel. They had drifted away from God. They turned their back on God and gone, gone the way of the world. And the scene kind of, like, zooms in on a specific man named Zorah, uh, named Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And verse 3, and the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, "'Behold, you are barren and have not born children.'" But you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. This is how we are introduced to the Bible story of Samson. But it wasn't just a Bible story. Like when when people are introduced like this, it helps us understand that these were real people, like set in real history. In fact, archaeology is beginning to uncover the parts of the world from the Iron Age that this story took place. And, And the Bible zooms in and it gives us a specific man from a specific family and says, this man was set apart on purpose for a purpose to begin to save Israel. In fact, Samson was special from the beginning. He was set apart from the beginning for several different reasons. First of all, like the birth announcement. Today we do birth announcements. You just like send something out on social media. But in that day, in Samson's story, an angel of the Lord appeared to his parents and said, there's going to be a child and you've had difficulties in the past getting pregnant, but you're going to have a son and this son is going to be special. And I want you to set him apart. Like I want his life to look differently. So he took what they call a Nazarite vow, meaning no cutting his hair, no drinking wine, no touching dead things, just to be completely set apart for the service of God And he was given these specific instructions. And in fact, it was kind of unbelievable. It was so hard to believe that if we were to read the rest of this chapter, which we're not going to for the sake of time, Samson's parents had a hard time wrapping their mind around what the angel just said. When the angel appears, he appears just to Samson's mom, and uh, she goes and finds the dad and says, hey, someone just appeared to me. I didn't even ask who he was or where he was from, and he told me we we're going to have a child. And, and his dad is more confused and excited, and so he goes and he prays, Lord, if, if you would just come, if this is true, just give me some insight, some instruction on what this, this boy's mission is going to be. Samson's dad knew that if God was going to give them a son, that son would have a purpose from beginning. And the angel appeared again, and, and he shared basically the same thing again. that you're going to have a son. He's going to be set apart from, from the very beginning. He's going to begin to save Israel from their oppressors. And he didn't give any more information. And his story ends with Manoah and his wife offering a sacrifice and worshiping the Lord, which I think there's a lesson there for us, that when God says something is true, it doesn't have to come with all of the information, right? We don't have to have full understanding to worship God for who he is and what he accomplishes in our midst. But there's something else there I think is significant, that Samson was set apart from the beginning. He was set apart for a specific purpose, a purpose for which God created him and called him. And the truth is, as we read the rest of the Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we will see that every single one of us is set apart from the beginning, that God didn't create us, that you were not an accident. Like, even if your parents told you you were an accident, like you might have been a surprise, but you were not an accident, right? David is spending time with God in the Old Testament, the book of Psalms, and he's praying about this, and he's thinking about his place and his purpose in the world. And he says this, he records this in his prayer journal in Psalm chapter 139, verse 13. He says, for you, God, formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. And He says, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. of them. And what David is thinking of as he's thinking about his life and his relationship with God and his purpose is that he understood that God he served created him for a specific purpose. That God could see all the days ahead of David before one of the days came to be. It's not just an Old Testament story, it's not just a poem in the book of Psalms. The New Testament would say it this way in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, for we speaking of the church at large, all of the church are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so as we read this story, we understand that just like Samson was created on purpose for a purpose, like you and me, we were also created on purpose for a purpose. And God knows the details of every day of our life, and he knows the people he put us in our place to lead to him. But more than anything, the purpose for which we were all created is to reflect glory to God, to make much of God. Because here's the thing, when we make much of God, God makes himself known through us. God says to, to Samson's mother, he says, you're going to have a child, and he will begin to save Israel. His purpose goes beyond his own existence. It is to lead others to know God more closely and find a restored relationship with him. And so Samson is set apart, and the rest of the story would suggest that he knows God, and he knows his place with God, and he spends the rest of his life serving God, right? Like, isn't that as, if we were to stop right here, and if you were to, like, put your vacation Bible school memory or recollection of Samson's story away, you would think that if someone uh, saw an angel of God and the angel of God appeared to them and said, you're going to have a son. And the circumstances surrounding his birth are going to be miraculous. And he's going to be set apart from the beginning. He's going to look different than all the other kids. And he's going to be raised up for a specific purpose to save God's people, to restore a relationship. And surely his mother and his father passed that story. every. Can you imagine if you were Samson and you were tucked in at night by your parents and the Bible story your parents told you was your story? Like you put your kids to bed and we get out the Jesus Storybook Bible and we flip through and we always ask like, which story do you want to read? Well, she should never ask your toddler because it's always the same story. My daughter wants to read about baby Jesus every, it's like, yes, right, every story points to baby Jesus, but there's a pretty grand story here baby Jesus. But like Samson's mom is tucking him in and the Bible story she's telling him is, is about him. This angel appeared. And you're not going to believe it. It's this is crazy. Your dad and I've been praying for years and not able to have a family. And the angel of the Lord showed up and said, you're going to be the family and you are going to begin to save Israel. And you would think that Samson from a young age would just live a life in that direction. But it's like we fast forward. And as soon as we see Samson as an older fella, he's going <clears throat> trying to figure out what the world has to offer. So Judges chapter 14, I said, we're going to make our way through it pretty quickly. The story continues. It says, Samson went down to Timnah, chapter 14, verse 1. And at Timnah, he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. Man, kind of a bossy kid. You can tell he was an only child, right? I've seen something I want. Now give it to me. Um, Samson went down to Timnah, and this made no offense if you're only child but it's still true, right? Um, Samson went down to Timna, and this may not seem like a big deal, but Samson wasn't just going for a stroll. He was going to see a Philistine city. Now, remember, the Philistines were opposed to God in every possible way. They hated God. They enslaved the people of God. They were opposed to God's purpose. But Samson went down to Timnah, this Philistine city, and I don't think he was just going to sightsee. I think he was going to see what Timnah and the Philistines had to offer which blows me away through the lens of 3,000 years of history because Samson knew who God was he knew that God had called him and created him and called him for a purpose but still he wanted to see what the world had to offer And then I look through that lens, and I think, man, Samson was such an idiot. And I realize I do the same thing today. Do you ever do the same thing? Like, you know who God is. You know who he's called you to be. You know that he has your best intention at heart all the time, that he is good and gracious and only wants good things for his people. He's laid out a way in which we can live that will bring him honor and honor our life. And still, we are tempted to go see what the world has to offer. We might be set apart, but we wonder, is sin more enticing? Samson went to see what the world had to offer, and he sees a lady. In fact, the Hebrew word is really he lusts after a lady. He goes, he sees the Philistine ladies, and he sees, sees this lady, and he says to his parents, I want you to get her for me as my wife. Now, he knows that God forbade his people, from marrying and intermarrying with people who did not honor him. Why? Not because God didn't like those people, but because those people did not like God. And God said that we should not um, yoke our lives to someone who does not love God, because inevitably, as is true in Samson's story, it will draw us away from God. Maybe more on that in just a second, if we have time. But we face the same temptation to entertain temptation that Samson did. And how often do we do what, exactly what Samson did? We say, we're just going to take a look. Like, I know who God is. I know what he's called me to do. I know what he says, how I, he says I should live. And I even know that his way is better than my way. But I just want to take a stroll and I want to see what it is the world has to offer. How many stories about people in Slate to Sin start this way? They were just going to look. People said, hey, I know what the Bible says about how I should guard my heart and be pure and not entertain any kind of sexual immorality outside uh, marriage. And somewhere along the way, they just want to take a look at something online. And before you realize it, 12, 15, 20, 30, 40 years enslaved to sin. And then what do we start to do? We start to blame God. God, why did you make me this way? You know, if you just loved me more, maybe I wouldn't have stumbled into sin. I wouldn't be enslaved to sin. But James, the brother of Jesus, was no stranger to this kind of temptation. He said this in James chapter 1, verse 13. He says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. That's like he knows us, right? For God cannot be tempted with evil. God is holy. He does not entertain evil. He cannot entertain evil. And it says he himself tempts no one. Go on, it says this. It says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. James would say that when we are tempted, we have no one to blame but ourselves. Because God, he would say elsewhere, or Paul would say elsewhere, that when we are tempted, God provides a way out so that we can escape temptation. But when we entertain sin, we end up enslaved to. We're not going to read all of Samson's story, but he ended up marrying this woman and um, at least had the wedding ceremony and everything just kind of fell apart from there and set his life in motion. But Samson sees something he likes, someone he likes, and he goes after her. Okay. Samson said to his father, get her for me. Verse 4 says God's going to use it even though Samson's a knucklehead. Verse 5 says, then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah, and behold, a young lion came toward them. And so what's so fascinating to me um, is that Samson sees this woman that he likes. it catches his attention. He knows what the Bible says, that he should not marry someone outside of the people of God. But he goes to his family, and he says to his mom and his dad, he says, I see this woman. I'd like you to go get her for me as my wife. Now, Samson's the strongest guy in the history of the world. So you think he could do it for himself, but nonetheless, he goes to his mom and his dad. And what blows me away in verse five is his mom and his dad go with him. Like they go along with Samson's sinful idea. And I wonder what would have looked like in Samson's story if his parents right here would have stopped and pushed back from the start. Like if at this point in the story, when Samson came back, and I've said, I found this woman among the Philistines. She hates God. She hates everything about God. But man, she looks good. I think I want to marry her. If Samson's parents said, you cannot depart from the will of God for your life, because let me take you back to who God is and his story for you. There is something so much more, Samson. But they didn't. They just go along. And it's like the Old Testament version of saying, but at least he's happy. They did push back a little bit. Um... Uh, uh, and they came to the vineyards of Tim to behold a young woman. Sorry, I think I skipped it. Verse 3. Yeah, sorry, I skipped verse 3. It says, but his father and mother said to him, is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all the peoples that must go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's right in my eyes. Sorry, I skipped that. But it's pretty important because his parents give like this like gentle pushback. And I know it's a gentle pushback because they push back in the form of a question. Right. Like that's not really pushback. That's the way I push back on my wife when I say, hey, where do you want to go for lunch after church? And she says, there's this really good, like fresh restaurant and they barely serve any meat, but the vegetables are great. And I say, isn't there like anywhere else in the world, like that where they serve meat that you would like to go? And she says, no, it's like, okay, I just want to keep her happy. Right. So, um, and I, I know that's weak because that's how I do, but that's Samson's parents. And they weren't just pushing back on a dinner decision, but in the direction of his life. They say, is there not, Samson sees this woman among the Philistines, and he knows that God has set him apart for something special. He knows that God says that they should not marry people outside the people of God, and Samson sees her nonetheless, and he says to his parents, hey, I'd like you to go help me get her as a wife. And they say, is there no one among, is there not a single woman, a single, single woman among all the people of God? And Samson says, I don't know. She looks good. That's who I want. And the next scene is they're going with him. And it's like the Old Testament way of saying, at least he's happy. Like, I don't care if he's destined for hell, at least he's happy, right? Like, that's, that's what it's like. And I wonder, what would it look like if Samson's parents right here would have pushed back and says, God has so much more. Like Samson, you might not understand what God has for you if you choose to honor God. But let me tell you what God said about you, that you would be set apart, that you would save his people, that you would begin to restore a relationship between God and his chosen people, that someday Jesus might come into the world through these people. But they don't do that. They say, is there no one? And they go with him. And we could go off on a tangent. It's not the point of the sermon, but like it's always a good point like, to make. If you are young and looking for someone to marry and spend the rest of your life with you, if you're a parent, you have kids that are looking for someone, or if you're like my wife and I and have a three-year-old daughter that someday, if the Lord doesn't intervene, might look for someone to marry. God always says the people of God should marry among the people of God. The New Testament would say it in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. It says, do not yoke your life. Do not partner your life. Do not let someone who does not know God determine the direction of your life. And I know, like, you might look at me if you're single uh, or if you have a, a child who's trying to decide who they're going to marry. And you've been trying to give this advice and they're not listening. say, it's easy for you to say with a three-year-old daughter and a three-year-old daughter at home. But here's the thing, like, I know. Like, I know, because I've heard y'all's stories. And you're like, is there no single person left that loves the Lord? Like, I have started brainwashing my daughter at three days old. When I say, Brian, who are you going to marry? You can ask her. She'll say... As soon as I find someone who treats me better than my daddy treats me, that's who I'm going to marry. And people will say the bar's pretty high, which you're like, you're right it's high. Like I want some guy that she finds to love the Lord and love her more than I can love the Lord and love her because I would rather her be 45 and single than married to some loser like who doesn't love the Lord or loves himself more than he loves the Lord because eventually he will use her to please himself. And it's true for men and it's true for women. Samson's story 3000 years ago shows the danger. Of entertaining uh, relationships with people outside the people of God. If you uh, know someone who does not love the Lord, you should work to disciple them, not date them, right? God has so much more. Samson's parents push back a little bit, as long as he is happy. Parents, friends, community groups, like what would it look like if when someone starts to entertain sin, if we saw it as our job for their protection and provision in the grace of the Holy Spirit to stand in the way and say, God has so much more for you than the simple short-sighted pleasure of sin. Anyway, Samson goes along the way. In verse six, he sees this lion come out. He tears it apart, which just is his early demonstration of his strength. And then they go, and Samson sees the woman in verse 7. He says, she looks good. I want her. And then they come back a few days later with a young goat to offer as a a peace offering. And Samson sees this lion lying there on the side of the road. And he tore it open not too long before. And in it, the bees have made uh, some honey. And so he reaches in the animal and eats the bees, which, like, question that decision from the very beginning. Like, we can eat some crazy things. But if anything's growing inside of a dead animal, you can eat dead animals, but not stuff growing inside of dead animals. That's just a rule of life. But Samson wasn't supposed to touch anything dead. Then he goes on in verse 10, it says, his father went down with him to the woman, and Samson prepared a feast there so the young men used to do. And that feast is the Philistine feast, that feast that lasted a week-long drinking feast. And so Samson basically has sacrificed everything that God says set him apart, that he would not uh, intermarry with people outside of the people of God, that he would not touch dead things, that he would not eat unclean things, that he would not drink alcohol. Everything that was to put him in place to be used by God, he sacrificed to satisfy his desires in the moment. And the rest of the story through the end of chapter 15, it just does not go well. I encourage you to read the story this week. But Samson shows up at this wedding feast, and they gather all the people together, and they start boozing everybody up. And Samson offers this this like riddle and he's trying to get rich quick. Uh, and so he says, I'm going to offer a riddle. If you can't figure it out, you guys got to bring me a lot of money. And if you do figure it out, well, she knows they can't, then I'll give you the money that I have. And they go to work and the Philistines try to figure it out and they can't figure it out. So they go to his, his bride to be, and they force her into figuring out the riddle and Samson gets mad. And so he, in his anger, he runs off and he kills 30 guys. He brings their dead bloodstained garments and throws it at the Philistines here. You would not have, you know, tricked my wife you would not have figured out this riddle so he gets angry and he slams the door and he goes home he comes back a little while later he's like oh I forgot my wife and he comes back and and the dad of the bride says I thought you hated her I mean you gave you talked bad about her on your way out the door you slammed the door you went back to Israel and, he, and and so he says will you just take her sister she's better looking anyway weird thing for a dad to say Samson gets really mad. And so, like, just one squirmish after another, he kills 30 Philistines. Then he kills 1,000 Philistines. And God is using Samson, even in his weakness and even in his stupidity, to slay the enemies of God. God. And God gives Samson some pretty big victories. And Samson begins to get a glimpse of his purpose, why he was sent to set the people free from the Philistines. But then in chapter 16, have you ever noticed that when you like are really close with God and you see God accomplish things in your life, it can go one of two ways or at least for me, like if, if God is really working in my life, like, and he's really helping me follow him closely, and I'm just enjoying intimacy with him, and I'm watching him work through my life, and I'm seeing him, seeing him use me to serve his church, and to invite people to know him, I can either get, like, really motivated, it's like a snowball effect, like, man, if God's going to use me in that way, I'm going to go find 15 more people and tell them about Jesus, or sometimes I just get, like, tired and complacent, you ever get like that, like, man, I just, I just baptized someone, I think, I'm going to take the next week off, right? Like, you're kind of complacent in your calling. Samson went the ladder. He went the ladder around. verse Chapter 16, verse 1, it says this, and we're going to kind of wrap the story up. It says, Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. Okay, so Samson's gotten pretty far. Gaza is the capital city of the Philistines. Samson has gotten so complacent in his calling and so comfortable with the culture that he lived in that he's now, like, not just on the outskirts of the Philistine territory, he is in the heart of the Philistine territory. And he's sleeping with Philistine prostitutes. Then he goes and he finds a lady named Delilah, and he doesn't just sleep with her, he falls in love with her. And the Philistines see this as an opportunity. Remember, they hate God, and they hate the people of God, and they hate everything God is about. And so they go to Delilah and say, hey, that Israelite man, he is our enemy. Would you figure out the secret to his strength so we can subdue him? And Delilah comes to Samson and, and plays the, if you love me, you'll tell me your secret. And he kind of gives her a, like a, a workaround and she tries and it doesn't work. And then another one, it doesn't work. Another one doesn't work. And then Sam- Delilah does what all women are capable of doing. She just breaks down in tears and says, you must not love me. And so what does Samson do? Just tells her everything. The secret to my strength is that God is with me and my hair has never been cut. And so Delilah uh, has him sleep on her lap and cuts his hair. The Philistines come in, and they subdue Samson. And Samson, it says in verse uh, 16, verse 21, it says, The Philistines seized him. They gouged out his eyes, and they brought him down. Sorry, verse 20 says, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. He awoke from his sleep. His hair has been cut. He says, He said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. The Philistines seized him. They gouged out his eyes. They brought him down to Gaza. They, they bound him with bronze shackles, and he, and he ground at the mill in the prison. And it's this really interesting story at the end of Samson's life that I find so convicting. Samson had this strength from God. He was set apart from the beginning, but he had grown so complacent in his calling that he thought God would never take it away from me. And so his hair is cut and he thinks it's going to be just like before. I'm going to jump up and I'm going to slay the enemies of God. But he did not realize the Samson had drifted so far from God that God was no longer giving him strength. And so he was subdued by the Philistines. And this once strong man is using what is left of his God-given strength to grind grain for enemy people. And I was reading that this week and I was wondering how many people who started strong with God are now using what is left of their God-given gifts to just go through the motions in the world in which we live. Samson, in his humble posture, realized for the first time in his life that the strength was not his own, that it came from God. And then Samson in verse 28 says this. He's in the middle of a party the Philistines are throwing to celebrate their victory over God and his people. There are 3,000 leaders of the Philistines in this one location. In verse 28, chapter 16, it says, Then Samson called to the Lord and said this, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once. O God, that I may be avenged against the Philistines for my two eyes. And so here's the first time in all of Samson's story that we see Samson praying to God. God had given him strength. He called him. He had set him apart for something special. But here, it wasn't until he was humble enough to know that God was the source of his strength that he prayed, God, please, one more time, give me strength that strength that comes from you. Verse 29 says, and Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. So you can just get this picture of him in this middle of this uh, party that was being thrown, 3,000 leaders of the Philistines with the two support beams in his hand. Verse 30, and Samson said this, he says, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bow, uh, bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he killed during his life. That is the end of Samson's story. Where do we go from there? If we fast forward through 3,000 years of human history, we can look back and we can see some of Samson's story. And unfortunately, we can relate with some of the parts like the temptation, the being distracted, the losing sight of our calling, and maybe the Holy Spirit's convicting us. But in Samson's death, we see hope. And here's what I mean. Samson said, let me die. And in his death, God accomplished more than he did in his life. 3,000 years later, Someone would come from the nation of Israel whom God sent to finish the work that Samson started. Jesus would come, not to begin to save Israel, but to save not just Israel, but the people of God. And in his death, he would bring glory to God and draw all people to himself. And, but Jesus, during his life, would say this thing to us. He would say that, and Paul quoted it during communion, he said, uh, what is it, Matthew chapter, it's going to be on the screen, Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And he wasn't just talking about your physical life, that you have to go, if you're going to follow Jesus, you have to die a martyr's death. He was saying that if you lose yourself in me, if you count your former life as a loss and follow after me, you will find that which is truly life. The Apostle Paul would say in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, he would say this, to the church, he would say, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And so he's talking to the church and he's talking to those who have put their faith in Jesus. And he says like, if you've been raised with Jesus, if you put your faith in Jesus and you're following him, then set your mind on things above. Don't get distracted with the things of this world. Verse two, set your minds on things above, not on things of this earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now it's peculiar that to the church of people living in Colossae in the first century, Paul would say you have died because they hadn't died. They were alive. But he's saying you have died to your old way of life. Just like Samson in his death found glory for God. He says you have died. And that brings glory to God. He says when Christ who is your life appears then you will also appear with him in glory put to death therefore. What is earthly in you, those temptations like sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. He says, in these you too once walked and you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. He says, don't lie to one another anymore. See that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator says this is for everybody. It's not just for the Greeks or the Jews, the circumcised or the uncircumcised, the barbarians, those who are far from God, the uh, people I can't say, the slave, the free, but Christ is all and in all. And then he says this, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. And the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him." And I know that's a lot, but that is the good news. That like in our death, like in putting off the old self like Samson, we can accomplish more for God than we can in a lifetime of striving in our own strength. And I encourage you this week to read Samson's story. We skim through it at a speed unheard of. But see Samson's temptation to do things his way based on his efforts and pray. Holy Spirit, do I have a temptation to do the same thing? Because I can tell you that often I try to serve God out of my strength. It's not until we die to ourselves and say, God, you take my life and do whatever you choose, that we will find true life. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your goodness and grace. What a privilege it is this week and every week to gather together as your people to make much of you. And Father, we're thankful for the life that you've given us, that you have called us, that you have set us apart, that you have saved us in Jesus. But Father, I pray that we would not lose sight of the purpose for which you have placed us here, to make much of you so you can make yourself known through us. Father, what a special privilege it is to be part of your church, to consider these friends, some of our favorite people, that we can follow Jesus alongside. But as we think about that, ancient story, the story of Samson, the life he lived and the death he died, I pray that this moment might be a moment of true humility. That unlike Samson, we don't have to be, wait to be taken captive, our eyes gouged out, but we might recognize that without Jesus, we are spiritually in a worse situation than Samson Samson found himself in Philistine territory. And we might just pray, God, if you would give us strength If you would let us die to ourselves, that we might live for you. We will live the rest of our life for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.